Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Collective Podcast. My name is Ash Thorpe. This is going to be episode 75 with Tech on Concrete director Michael Arias, who joins us to share a few of his many film, anime, and manga influences. He also talk about what it's like living in and working in Japan as a part of the Asian film industry, and a few tidbits about working with the Wachowskis to produce the Animatrix and collaborating with the mighty James Cameron on The Abyss. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at thecollectapodcast.com forward slash audible. Check it out. This is going to be episode 75. Here we go. the manga tech on Kenkri and there's so much to talk about with that i know that project's old now for you and so i don't want to just focus on that <laughs> because i'm sure you're probably tired of talking about it no it's okay i'm very proud of it yeah you should be i mean it's an enormous accomplishment you know like watching i brought up the your director's journal to quite a few friends and colleagues and i've even brought it up in the podcast a few times too where it's cool to see how you go through the process of making something as big as that. I remember seeing the same look on Coppola's face while watching Heart of Darkness. Have you seen that documentary? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a wonderful filmmaking documentary. It's fantastic. It's scary at the um, same time. <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing it's, uh, I mean, not to put myself in the same league, uh, far from it, but uh, I'm sure it's probably not that pleasant for him to watch that documentary and I, I, I know it's that that um, kind of making of doc of, of tech on was uh, I it's hard enough to remember actually what I was thinking at the time but it's very difficult for me to watch that does it take you right back to that like that vulnerable state of not being able to finish something or just yeah, I mean, I was very inexperienced and quite over my head, and um, and there was just a lot of stuff going on, and I was just barely, barely keeping a lid on it, and, um, <laughs> and not always managing to do so, uh, and so... Yeah, that's difficult for me to remember kind of specific, you know, thoughts in a concrete way. I, I do remember a kind of um, overwhelming sense of just, just waves of kind of doom and desperation <laughs> mixed with mixed with waves of, um, of great um, kind of creativity. Uh, so, yeah, it was just a lot of, you know, it was just a very dramatic, a lot of up and down, you know, you know, in a very, I don't know, it sounds like a long time, but at the, it just went by so fast. Well, the subject matter too, I mean, the original, the original content, the original manga is, is very heavily emotionally based, you know, and so you're constantly having to put yourself in that state, I imagine. Mm every day right and making sure you're keeping true to the manga and everything too so <laughs> yeah, yeah it's i mean it's definitely um i was thinking at the time that it was 
it's quite challenging to keep yourself kind of feeling the same amount of the same level of passion or the same whatever the vibe is that you have for a project keep yourself feeling that way over uh, you know two three years uh, it's I think a challenge particular to animation just because animation takes such a long time so you know you may have worked out a lot of your ideas in storyboarding but you still have to make it for the next whatever two years yeah um so it's often a challenge to kind of stay headed in the same direction um and there's always a temptation to kind of try and juice it up or throw in a bunch of spices right as you're getting to close to critical mass it's a marathon isn't it and yeah very much so keeping yourself attuned I, I noticed that one thing I really admired is is you managed to you're a smart person where you managed to a, attract yourself to the right people and you had a good team you know I think behind every good project or every good film has always been a really great team that's what makes Kubrick mm. that's what for me that's what makes Kubrick films so great too is he managed to really he was very smart in particular about who he worked with and he, mm. he worked with some of the best, you know, innovative and smart people and very loyal and hardworking people. And I, I felt the same when I was watching the journal that you had. And I felt, especially your producer, I remember when you guys were really down because after the mm. first after the first screening was really, yeah. reality hit you hard and she kind of picked you guys up. And that I just love that, you know, it's like everybody's a part of it, you know, and they're all working hard towards it. I guess that's very Japanese too, like Japanese culture, you know. Um, I don't know. You know, it's that's her personality. I mean, she's kind of a. I mean, on top of the producing stuff, she's also very much a kind of den mother mm. slash cheerleader. <laughs> um, and that was a big, well, a very important project for her studio as well. Sure, sure. So, yeah, that's it. Yeah, but you know, when, when you're talking about having a a, a capable team or a, a, you know people with talent to add their add their own DNA to their project, um, that was kind of the the one saving factor. I mean, I think given my lack of experience directing, I, I would have sank very uh very quickly had it not been for all the all of my collaborators yeah and uh i remember someone saying once that uh you know if you have a really good car with you know the suspension tuned and everything you can actually take your hands off the steering wheel and and it'll drive itself and i've, I've never tried that but uh, <laughs> that's a lot of the times that's kind of the way it felt like i could you know, of course, uh, there's always so many decisions to make for a director to make on a movie, but a lot of times well, I had the luxury of being able to kind of take my hands off the steering wheel a couple times and just uh, really get a kind of bird's eye view of the project just because of, uh, because of the people I was working with, their creative strengths. No, no shortage of ideas and, and experience. 
Yeah, you had like a powerhouse because it was like around when Steampunk just got released, right? So you had kind of like this really powerful group of people that were immensely talented in what they did. It must have been crazy. Yeah, Otomo's Steamboy. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, we picked up a lot of their, most of their backgrounds department, a lot of a lot of good animators as well. Yeah, no, that was really awesome. And now you're doing now you're doing um, like the feature film stuff where you're actually going kind of back to I'm I'm just guessing maybe more your roots, which is film and stuff, but like Heaven's Door, which you just recently did. Yeah, I mean, I've done uh, a live-action feature and a bunch of uh, music videos and whatever else. I'm, I'm actually in the middle of another animated feature um, that's, well, I'm almost done with it, actually. Um, it's very different from Techcon King Creep, but, well, we'll see how it how it goes <laughs> it's um, never ending right but yeah i like um being able to do uh well i guess I'm, I'm i'm really lucky to to have a foot in both worlds um i can see the involvement though like i can see your film uh, language and understanding and i could see how how much it, it influenced even just tech on kinkrete uh, at least for me, like the aspect ratio, for example, mm. it's 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 a it's uncommon for me at least when I watch a lot of anime. It's uncommon to use such a wide. Is it like two, three, five or something? Yeah, you Cinemascope. Yeah. Um, there's there's it's true. There's not a lot of animation in scope. Uh, that was kind of um, we decided to use Cinemascope for the Animatrix which I had produced. Um, uh, and and, and that, that decision was made just kind of to match it with the aesthetic of the Matrix films, which were all done in scope. Yeah. Um, it was so and, nice to see it, though. I mean, watching Kawajiri's, like, mm, his art that wide and that, that mm, much is just, for me, it, it was so much more appealing than the other aspect ratios and stuff. And... I felt like it's quite challenging when you're doing animation. Actually, I mean, it's kind of it's a lot more information, nerd, nerd, nerdy stuff. But no, I mean, uh, well, there's there's just all that stuff, just uh, the kinds, which is there's all the stuff about CinemaScope, which is uh, more or less analogous to using scope in live action. Mm. But then there's also the challenge of actually. Uh, drawing the animation, you, you know, you because you're drawing pencil on paper, you have two choices when you're shooting scope. You can cram the scope into frame into the same size piece of paper that you would use for a vista size or a regular standard size, a standard aspect ratio, mm -hmm. in which case uh, you have to draw everything much smaller or considerably smaller. The other thing you can do is... Uh, use larger paper, in which case you're using a larger canvas, so you actually have to do a lot more work when you're animating the characters. Um, and so you, I think some of the compromises, or some of the, maybe not compromises, but some of the adjustments that you make in animating for scope give you oh, 
subtly, but uh, it's uh, it's actually uh, it's got a different look and feel. Absolutely, um, I love that though, and that's one thing I really appreciated when watching it. I could I could tell that you you're coming from a different place, you know. Mm. And I don't know. I mean, it's yeah, perhaps I it's just no, your I'm, voice. I'm a huge uh, huge fan of uh, CinemaScope. I mean, all, I think uh, most of best. my let's say most of my favorite movies are widescreen or or some large format. Yeah, I was going to ask you too. What are some films that you've seen recently that have really moved you, or you've been inspired by? Um, let's see. Well, it's. I mean, this is a uh, kind of old stuff at this point, but I, I was I was blown away by um, uh, the master. I thought that uh, was fantastic, great. and and that's a large format show. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, I thought that was quite incredible. Damn, Paul Thomas Anderson! How dare he? <laughs> he continually makes amazing films. Yeah, actually, um, I don't think there's a movie of his that that I'm not just in awe of. Yeah, how could you not? Um, what else? I was I had very low expectations, but was really surprised by how good. Um, uh, God, now I can't remember the title. Uh, the Jonathan Glazer's last movie was. Oh yeah, Under um, the Skin. Under the Skin, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I was um, just the the wordlessness of yes, it. Yes, yes. It doesn't explain I, itself. I love that. Uh, yeah, I was really uh, surprised just by everything. I thought it was technically uh, there's yeah, not a lot of. Not a lot of extra, not a lot of wasted space in there. Um, <laughs> I felt like it was a else? film for guys like us, you know? Maybe. I thought so. Maybe. It's, I, I mean, a lot of people, I think, were upset by it and didn't get it. And, and, and I can see why, because it's a, mm. it's not like a Pixar film, you know? Not to yeah, say that it, Pixar films aren't great. They're awesome. But, you know, it's. I think some people are getting so used to going to watch a film and, and be entertained in three acts and go home pleasantly happy. Yeah. And this film yeah. doesn't doesn't do that, and I and I love that I love that films take risks like that and that are willing to go out and try something different, you know. Yeah, no, uh, no uh, pandering to the audience there. Not at all, in, in any way uh, at all. Yeah, the score was, is really good too. Have you seen Enemy? Have you seen that? I brought... and, uh, and that's what I was going to say is the uh, use of uh, music and sound effects in in uh, just the whole sound design of the picture was was that was really really cool i mm-hmm. was uh just very uh i don't know disturbed <laughs> <laughs> that's the point right and, yeah. and i had uh i don't know why i had such low expectations but you know how it is you, that's good you though see so many uh trailers and read enough reviews but by the time something by the time i get to see something in japan i have you know i've already been uh turned against it by uh, all this background noise but yeah i really like that i don't know what else Uh, it's hard to keep out of watching trailers and stuff you know i find it is uh i try i try mm. not to ever watch them though because i feel like it ruins the experience for me Mm. even like fincher's newest film that's coming out i'm a big fincher fan and, and yeah me too and i'm excited to see gone girl um but i'm not gonna watch any of the trailers because my wife's already read the book and she's already kind of told me about it 
Mm. So I kind of have a good idea, but I don't want to know anything because I don't know how, is it same for you? Like I like to have a completely blank slate, no expectations. Yeah, ideally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes a good trailer can be a, the, the kick in the pants that you, <laughs> you need to, you know, get your ass off the sofa. But yeah, generally uh, it's, it's nice to walk in and, you know, have no idea what kind of door you're walking through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what was I going to say? The Master is really awesome. How about how about any older films that have really influenced you or have you been inspired by? Um, you know, it's the usual uh, from, you know, anything made in 1983, probably. Uh, <laughs> John Carpenter's The Thing, yeah. Blade Runner. Yeah. Um, yeah, before that, Alien, of course, was huge. Yeah. Uh, did, did you get a chance to work directly 2001. with... 2001. Oh, yeah, of course. With... With, uh, uh, with Cameron on the Abyss? Because I remember seeing that... Yeah, very you, much. I, I got, got a few rides home from him, actually. <laughs> How's, he's a he's yes. a really smart dude, from what I've heard. Yeah, he is very smart and also... Uh, well, just, I mean, I was only, uh, what I had my, I think 20th and 21st birthdays on the stages of the abyss. <laughs> and, uh, so for me it was, you know, inspiring. I mean, not, not even ignoring that. I mean, uh, I was a huge fan of aliens and the Terminator as well. So actually getting to work closely with him uh, he was he was very involved in the visual effects so he was there a lot and it was very impressive he he remembered everyone's names from the grunts like me to you know <laughs> uh and and treated us all with respect and was, uh, yeah that's yeah when you're a young filmmaker that uh, having Spending time with someone like that is just just huge. Changes your life, right? The impact it has on you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on the one hand, it just uh, you think, wow, uh, but just inspired by what a kind of uh, completely his his degree of involvement in the project, but but also feeling like. Uh, I, you know, that kind of uh, contra contact with uh, greatness, kind of, uh, when you see a guy like that close up, you think, wow, you know, if I, um, you know, he's he's just uh, another guy trying to put his, put his ideas on film. Yeah, becomes more um, tangible. Yeah, yeah. He's just working um, his ass off, and it probably rubs off quite a bit, I would imagine, too. Yeah, if you're, just if you're paying the, attention. <laughs> the, the level of involvement and his skill at communicating his ideas to the the other, you know, craftspeople and technicians and artists and, and everyone there. That, that was, yeah, that was quite huge. What did you think of the final film? That was, you know, of course, uh, going to the premiere of the abyss was very much like you know 
you know, it's opening night for everyone involved in it, but for the young guys like me, and, and I was on it from the very beginning till the very end. Wow. So uh, it was, yeah, just extremely exciting, you know, prom night and graduation <laughs> and, uh, and opening night all, all rolled into one. Uh, I had... I found it a very moving experience, and I was also completely unable to separate my own feelings and my own kind of uh, excitement for the film from any kind of, you know, it's it's got its uh, flaws like any other movie, but I still think it's a, a pretty huge accomplishment. It's, an, it's a classic for sure. I mean, it's an amazing film. Um, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and for There's... anyone for anyone who's into sci-fi, I mean, it's that's a go-to. It's a very ambitious movie. Yeah, I, I love watching the documentary of how they made that and the freaking. Oh God! Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed like hell because of the just the situations. You know, were you were you actively in the water with him as, as well? No, or? no, no. I was I was on smoke-filled on. sound stages. Perfect. So <laughs> we we only heard from the uh, the underwater crew from time to time I, I had a neighbor at the time who was one of the under underwater guys so i would get you know the <laughs> gossip from him and then we would hear stories from some of the first unit who ended up on the special effects stages with us you know trying to get it all wrapped up mm. um, when they were done with the uh, principal photography um so you know there was that vibe but of course nothing you know the documentary that the making of the abyss or whatever the uh, yeah it's something know, like that there's a name that for is, it uh, yeah. you know you know it's like hell in descent, the water or something descent into the abyss or you know, something <laughs> one of those like clever taglines yeah but uh, it makes it seem so much more, uh, so much worse, which I'm sure it was. No, I, I can't imagine being on the set of The Abyss and, and being by Jim and everybody else and being a part of that, that team at such a young age, too, that, that had to have you know, shaped you. Yeah, and, I mean, at that point, uh, filmmaking was kind of, that was my uh, backup plan, so <laughs> it wasn't at all a short I, you know I I wasn't thinking about uh, you know about actually making a life out of filmmaking really so at that point you were just kind of doing no, I mean filmmaking was a, a hobby of just a kind of an extension of uh, just playing around with my friends that I had been doing since in in uh, primary school since yeah. I was, I don't know, 10 or 11. Um, that was just, yeah, kind of goofing off and building plastic models and blowing them up and shooting them. And, uh, you know, my, my dad always had a stack of uh, film scripts around the house. So I was, I was definitely into it, uh, you know, making creature makeup by following the very kind of sparse descriptions of guys like Tom Savini and Dick Smith and Rick Baker and guys like that in Fangoria or Starlog or just, it was just a, 
it wasn't like it didn't seem like a job. I didn't actually know anyone who was. I didn't know any filmmakers. It wasn't like uh, I don't know. It was just something that we were that we were doing. Me and my buddies in in primary school and then later in high school and and it was kind of the. Uh, I mean, I was I was very lucky in that when things weren't working out so well. Yeah, dropped out of school and was uh, just kind of bumming around LA looking for something to do. Uh, I mean, it, you know, of of course, top of the list of things that I thought I could do, maybe just to stay afloat, was uh, I thought I could be of use on a on a movie set. Just because of all the stuff that I had done, I was kind of a natural uh, autodidact. So I'd kind of learned all this stuff about optical printers and about rotoscoping and motion control and stuff that, you know, was had nothing really to do with what we were doing. But it, it was knowledge that uh, was, you know, found a, found a, a niche in, on the special effects stages. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it seems for me when I'm like when I'm hearing from you too is, uh, if you if you start if you start working on a film from the beginning and then you you end at the end, like that's very rare because um, for people that don't understand the film process, usually people come in for sections of the film and they help out. Yeah. And but you obviously, uh, I guess there's a word that could probably attract itself to you is passion and, and being passionate will drive you all the way through that and people will see your value and they're going to just going to keep you on the team so you can be a part of the experience. And is that true? Because it seems like that's what it is because I wouldn't really think of myself as passionate, but I'm, I think I am kind of a natural born nerd. So I'm, I kind of get lost in whatever I'm, whatever I'm doing or building or, um, and so, you know, working on a movie from start to finish, there's no part of the process that I find tedious or boring. I like uh, like uh, working on the writing of a film. I like planning. I like the producing side of things. I like casting. I like post-production. I like working with the composer and the sound effects guys. I like working with the animators and the background guys and the art directors. And I, there's the whole process. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, good. I think, I think a lot of the, actually that a lot of the directors I admire are, are really kind of jacks of all trades. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, uh, that's really something to, I mean, there's the, Directing, directing, like directing actors, or uh, I don't know. You really have to, I think, to do it right. You've got to try every, you know, every piece of the work. You know, and and I, that's something just over the years that 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 I've been kind of fortunate in in that there was always like something for me to do, something new for me to try. Yeah, I think it's good to be like that, though. I think if you can enjoy each process, each p piece of the process and somewhat or understand it or just be curious about it, 
it makes it that much more engaging, you know? And then I think that the audience will feel that you're engaged because at the end of the day, you're usually the one that's driving it, you know? Mm, mm. And, uh, I mean, that, that all said, I mean, I, I, I'd be the first to, to say that I'm not really good at any of the jobs. (laughs) I've just, I've, I've had, you know, uh, I've just had my hands on enough of the process to, to know how all the pieces fit together. Well, it's an ongoing thing, right? You know, it's like you're never going to be the person that I, I mean, I don't know, unless, unless you feel like you're there, but I don't, I think any good artist is always in search of that, you know, that's what makes it kind of engaging or fun in the same way it makes it challenging, you know, that constant uh, pursuit of greatness, I suppose, you know? Yeah, I'm just one, one job away from the next flame out. (laughs) Yes. And how, and so like it's it's also for me it's really curious because being in America we have we're in, we're in a completely different market from where you're at in Japan, and you coming from America coming from LA in particular, and I think I remember he, you saying something in an interview where in a, and I feel the same way like in LA it has its own voice and its own character but it doesn't speak to me, like I don't I'm not a fan of LA as a city. And I can't wait to go because I'm going to be going to Tokyo in February for the first time. I've always wanted oh, to go. Really? I've always wanted to go to Japan, so I'm going to travel all around over there. But mm, um, get in touch when you're when you're over here. Uh, I'd love to. I'd love to see you and meet up with you and have some ramen and stuff. That'd be amazing. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not. I mean, I hope when the film that I'm doing now is done to actually spend a month or so in LA. So you never know. We 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 may or may not be in the same place at the same time but that'd be funny <laughs> i could just switch spots really quickly <laughs> yeah well i mean yeah I, I'm, I'm just i'm i'm just excited and i'm really curious to see how it speaks to me because i feel like i don't know like i've a part of me is japanese in a way where all the things about japan really appeal to me mm-hmm. and, and i grew up in hawaii so that might have been part of that because oh, japanese, really? japanese culture is so infused in hawaii yeah, it's, God. It's very I, I just uh, went to Hawaii for the first time a couple of years ago. Uh, oh yeah, what island? Uh, well, uh, to the Big Island, actually. Uh, cool. My best friend from high school and I uh, rented a little uh, VW bus and kind of drove around the island, sort of half camping, half crashing. Um, and uh, yeah. How cool is that? Yeah, it was very cool. Not at all what I expected. I mean. Uh, I was, you know, coming from Japan in the dead of winter, you know, it was December, mm. uh, you know, all, the only thing I was, I had on my brain when I went over there was beaches, you know, diving, <laughs> uh, whatever, just chilling. Um, and, but my, my friend Chris was coming from LA and of course she just, she can get the beach any day. So she just wanted to go trekking and hiking and mountain biking and and I kind of just followed her lead and and I was uh, I, I think because of that I, I got uh, we didn't spend a lot of time on the beach but we spent a ton of time just hiking and trekking and riding around and, and I was just uh, so, so blown away by the not the abundance of natural beauty so much but the scale of it I mean, yeah it's just a I mean, it's called the Big Island for a 
for good reason. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just the scale, the scale of it is it's just monstrous. Yeah. It's amazing that it comes all the way from the bottom of the ocean, too. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> mean, volcanoes. It's crazy. And it's still going, too, which is even more amazing, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> that was, was also uh, just the descriptions of how, you know, so many square meters get added to this island yeah. every year. And it's just, you know, and then you see it from the air, and it's really this... You know, you can, everywhere on the island, you can smell it in the air, this sulfurous, Sulfur, yeah. primeval, uh, primordial, you know, smog. It's amazing. <laughs> Did you get a chance to go um, check out YPO Valley? Yes. How epic is yes. that? The and Black Sand Beach? I grew up right over there. Completely cinematic. Oh, it's oh epic. Oh, my God. Did, you, did they tell yeah. you the story about that, that area? Where the fishermen down below, where they had the tsunami? No, no, because you know we took ourselves there. Okay. We we were just our our own mobile unit and uh, kind of just uh, uh, trailing after other groups, so we didn't get the whole, you know, spiel. Right. Um, but yeah, that, just the views from looking down into the uh, valley w were uh, uh, just there was it was I found it very difficult to get a picture that even. <laughs> gave a, a, a rough representation of that. I mean, really, really incredible. Yeah, it's one of those places you just really can't film. You, you just can't, even if you tried. I mean, I know even like Steven Spielberg has tried, you know, and he's managed to capture it a little bit, but... Yeah, but he had the dinosaurs, so he was kind of... <laughs> Cheater. Cheating, yeah. <laughs> That's true. And that was on Oahu, too. But, um, yeah, with, like, Waipio Valley and, and just the, the sheer scale and the, and, the, and, the, and the feel that it gives you, if you get a chance to, you should go to Kauai because Kauai is, like, Waipio Valley times 10. Mm. It's an, it's a, it is just literally a, a, the most amazing visual experience I've ever had in my life. It, wow. I got I've, I got vertigo up on the top of a cliff. I don't know. I was like thousands of feet up. I got vertigo for the first time in my life, just looking over this over this edge. To just it seemed mm. like it just went forever. It was ridiculous. <laughs> it's never never experienced anything like that. But yeah, wow. it's really it's 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 crazy for me at least. And maybe you feel the same. Is working in computers and working on sci-fi and, and working and generating like trying to replicate nature, but actually going and experiencing nature in its most raw, purest beauty. Mm. It just like, I, I don't know. I felt useless because I felt like, um, I can never replicate this, this feeling, you know, it's like, it's so powerful and it's, yeah. and it just is, it's just there. And that's just, it's beautiful. It's just, you know, it's awesome. It's all, it's just, you know, silences me basically. Yeah. I, I found that just the, uh, just, uh, you know, we were just kind of drifting around the island uh, without any real destination. I mean, it was kind of just driving and pulling off the road. Oh, here's something. Uh, let's go check it out. Where does this lead? And, uh, That's awesome. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was uh, I mean, I had good company, um, but it was, it was uh, just a very, uh, very intense trip. A lot of inspiring stuff. Um and uh, wow, that that kind of thing, uh, there's no substitute. <laughs> yeah, I highly recommend anybody to get ex an experience like that because 
especially as a creative person, I think it just feels if it gives you all this fuel, you know, it just fills you up with just questions and, and curiosities and excitement. Oh yeah. Travel when you can. Yeah. That's, as much as you can. That's what I say. How often do you get to travel? Well, I mean, I'm kind of, I think I'm lucky in that, uh, well, living in Japan is kind of, even though I've been here on and off for like 25, 26 years, mm. um, there's still uh, some kind of moment when I walk out the door every morning where it's like, hey, I'm in Tokyo. <laughs> it's the <laughs> biggest mega city in the world. Yeah. Um, so I have little just moments of free song every day where, you know, it can be in mixed in with the totally mundane going down to the convenience store to buy paper towels can, you know, um, if all I have to do is look out towards the horizon and there's this, you know, literally uh, Blade Runner-ish, you know, <laughs> it's, it's everywhere. I mean, it's, uh, I, I, Tokyo, uh, I mean, it's not in its natural beauty, certainly, but in its man-made beauty is, is uh, what's well, a very visually exciting city. And I, you know, I don't know, honestly, it's, it's hard for me to say if, if it affects uh, people who've grown up here the same way, but that's one of the nice things about being, a, I mean, I guess an expat at this point. Um, is just that you, you know, you you can live in a a city for years and years, but just because it's so so very different from where I spent my early years, you know, in Southern California, just because it's the landscape is so totally different. It's there's some kind of uh, you know, thrill just to just to walk in down the street and looking around, and and I don't live in a particularly like photogenic neighborhood or anything, but it's still yeah, it's it's one of the nice things about about traveling certainly, but also about living in a in a foreign country. Yeah, I can only imagine. I can't wait to go. I'm so excited. I've been wanting to go my entire life. I'm 31 years old now, and I can't wait. <laughs> oh, like, do yes, it. Finally. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm going to probably take the, the train around. I'm, I'm speaking to FITC is where I'm going out to do. And mm. I'm going to try and take the train around as much as I can and maybe stay for like an extra week. I, I have family here, so it's kind of hard to leave and be mm, gone for mm, too mm. long. But do you have family out there now? Have you created like, you know, like a... Uh, yeah, I have uh, an ex-wife, a couple kids, a uh, girlfriend. You know, uh, Get the whole shebang, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I've been around the, uh, been a, a, around it a couple times. Um, yeah, I have. Uh, well, you know, uh, a few very close friends and a lot of interesting colleagues, and yeah. And, and, you know, my, I've got a, a kind of core group of people back in the U.S. who I'm still in, in constant contact with. And, and that. Are a lot of your peers and friends in the film industry or kind of spread out? Um, let's see. Well, 
I guess, yes, a lot of them are. Um, it's like a common understanding, though. I think people that are in film, they're kind of like, I look at film people, I mean, really, if you're really into film and you're working on films, you're kind of like a gypsy, you know? Yeah. And there's a common understanding, you know, because you're kind of crazy, to be completely honest. We're kind of crazy because it's, it is a really crazy pursuit. It's very, really mm. odd. At least I think it is, you know? It's crazy work, crazy amounts of work, if you're really doing it, at least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, animation is a, maybe a little less of the craziness. Uh, but is that because still, you can control the elements more? Uh, you just have a lot of time. It's, you know, a marathon as opposed to a sprint. So mm. it's still an, a phenomenal amount of work, and, and it's still very intense, but the um, kind of... Uh, well, I would say the gypsy-like, wandering, you know, troubadour aspect of it is uh, is uh, is not so much in the forefront. Though, of course, you know, there's the cycle of, you know, as the show is winding down, there's fewer and fewer people around, and it's very much like the atmosphere of a, a carnival as the, you know... As, as people are packing up all this stuff, and, you know, there's just uh, little bits of garbage blowing around on the, on the ground. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, all the catering food and not getting fat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a very interesting process. And how is the market but, for you out there in Japan? Have you felt, I mean, obviously you're, you're well embraced, you know, and obviously you've acclimated to Japanese culture well. That's one thing, too, I noticed because um, I am so attuned to the Japanese culture from growing up in Hawaii and having, like, all my best friends are, like, Japanese and stuff. Like, there's a certain thing about your personality that I noticed that it's kind of, you kind of have a Japanese thing going on, too, where you seem to be, like, humbled by everything, you know? So, <laughs> which I think... Oh, I don't know. Maybe that's just from being over here for so long. I, I don't sure. know if I started that way. But <laughs> well, I'm sure it grew on you, you know? Like... I'm sure, yeah. I, don't, I couldn't imagine you be, being somewhere for that long and 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 not being influenced by it, like you were saying, you know. Mm. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Have you have you considered living in different parts of Japan, or is it mostly just Tokyo for work? I've done a fair bit of travel, but you know, practically speaking, you know, uh, just because you can't make a movie without a lot of manpower and without you know it's a it's a small industry and it's all centered around tokyo so yeah uh it would be very difficult for me to say move to kyoto or fukuoka or sapporo or another one of the major cities um thinking actually of getting out of tokyo for the next year or so and living near the beach but it's still you know an hour train ride from tokyo so not not really you know it's like moving to the valley or something sure or moving moving from the valley to the beach for that matter. <laughs> um, yeah uh, yeah but uh, i mean i i love big cities and tokyo's the 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 biggest so yeah don't think i could easily live in another city in japan i mean 
it's just a matter of taste. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I, I've never experienced this, so I'm just curious, you know, because I, I'm guessing that all the industry for the entertainment industry is centrally located in Tokyo mostly then, right? Pretty, pretty much. That just helps, um, right? There's, there's little bits and pieces in Kyoto and a couple other cities, but for the most part, it's all here. And, you know, it's a small country, so... Yeah. Of... You know, want to have time off, or like go visit friends, families, or you know, just you know, even location scouting, live action stuff. Uh, Heaven's Door was shot. Uh, I think we were on location for the entire, all but one of the forty-two days of the shoot. We were driving around the country somewhere, so um, so you get to see all the all the stuff around. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Japanese countryside is also very, it's, it's also not, um, it doesn't have the scale of, you know, the landscapes of Oahu, for example, but it's uh, got its own very, uh, well, it's got a nice vibe. It's very peaceful and kind of, uh, maybe not so photogenic, but it's, uh, feels feels good feel it's a very you know the japanese tranquil and stuff the, the people you meet in the countryside are very down to earth um you know they have a, a different a different outlook than folks in tokyo yeah i can't imagine how can you tell me more about your your film project and kind of how that came about and you know where you got inspiration from and why you decided to go from like doing animation to doing film? Well, I, I had made it clear for quite a while while I was making Pekon that that I was interested in doing live action as well. And, uh, um, and after Pekon wrapped, uh, I had one of the uh, producers of Pekon had a project that he was trying to get made and, and asked if I'd be interested in directing it. And I, I, I said yes, actually, without knowing anything about what the project was. <laughs> or, uh, just because it seemed very uh, like good timing. I was looking for the next thing. I wanted to do live action. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, it was, uh, it's just experience too, you know, it's mileage, you know? Yeah. Well, I'll try anything once. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's been a while since I did a live action feature, but I've done quite a bit of short films and, and, uh, music videos and bits and pieces in the meantime, and always, well, most of the time working with the same kind of group of guys, the same DP and the same art director or the same assistant directors. And so that's, it's been nice to kind of keep a connection with the, the group of colleagues that I like, I like working with and the live action side as well. And I, I hope the next after this project that I'm doing now, which has been, well, now that there's only a few months left to it, it's, I feel like we're getting near the end, but it's also kind of become quite a, quite a slog 
<laughs> and and I'm very much looking forward to uh, uh, getting it out there. And you know, I feel like I've. I imagine a, a pregnant woman feels around the ninth month. It's like okay, <laughs> let's get it out already. That's kind of how it is, uh, though, right? I mean, you're these are your an extension of yourself, and in a way, they're kind of your children. If you look at it as a responsible responsibility of making something good, at least. Yeah, though I have to say, on on TechCon and Heaven's Door, I felt with uh, particularly TechCon, um, I felt uh, I really, really wanted to hold on to things as long as possible, like just stay together with my 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 little crew there, um, and and. Uh, I, I, I just thought if we only had one more month or two more months, I was, and it was a, a kind of parting with everyone was extremely bittersweet. Um, that is not the case this time, um, <laughs> just because it's a, a much more compressed schedule, and I've, it's uh, just, uh, just you know, it's never. Um, I'm trying to think of the right metaphor, but uh, after you've been around, after you've been to a couple barbecues, the the experience of going to a barbecue is, I don't know, there's <laughs> uh, fewer butterflies in the stomach. <laughs> I got you. I mean, it's, it's, you know, if you experience something more than once and then, you know, you're uh, you're just you're primed for different experiences, I guess. You know, you're ready for certain things, I suppose. Where 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 do you see all this going for you? You know, like you're obviously you're wanting to try different things and experience different things. Do you have a, a set goal in your mind of accomplishments? You know, like for me, I I, I put out lists. I'm a big person, like I'm big into lists, so I'll make lists for myself. <laughs> And it's kind of crushes me sometimes because I, I bury myself in lists sometimes, but um, it just helps me stay focused. And you say, say, for example, like one of my goals is to make an animated se- uh, movie or something, you know? Is that mm. something for you? Is that part of your path that you were trying to accomplish? Um, no, I'm embarrassed to say that the whole, like... Um, that particularly since since coming to Japan it's really everything I've been involved with has has really seemed like something of a random walk I mean I've had the goals and the lists um, but I, it's never really what I imagined and then the next uh, I, I don't know I mean I've um, very little, just in terms of the big events, uh, you know, making my first animated feature and the live action feature and little projects here and there, very little of it has been by design. Hmm. Um, and I, I don't, I, I mean, on the one hand that makes for, uh, very interesting days but on the other hand I feel like I have very little control over you know where I'm headed uh, to be honest uh, I mean I'm, I don't know 
filmmaking, maybe this is just another kind of stop on the way to something else. I, so you have no destination in mind, basically, kind of just no. I mean, there's a couple it. a couple film projects that I'd really like to do, but you know how hard it is to get a film made. <laughs> yeah, it's incredibly uh, challenging. I mean, even the even the projects that you that one doesn't feel absolutely passionate about, or the jobs that you do just to uh, just to survive. For that matter, I mean, it's a miracle. Even the bad movies get made. I always feel like. It's yeah, yeah, it is a miracle. Really, I mean, you have to. I mean, uh, let alone, you know, movies that are watchable. Let alone masterpieces. I, I mean, yeah. how do they? How do they even get this stuff done? <laughs> yeah. Anytime I ever watch a film that that blows my mind away, I always think to myself, like, man, I just saw a Unicorn. Like, that's insane. I can't believe that they even exists. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I I feel like a lot of that the the difference between a good movie and a great movie is really kind of lightning in a bottle. It's yeah. really oh, you know, I'm sure you could, you know, kind of trace the genealogy of any one project like oh, this guy got kicked out of his apartment by his wife and so he ended up being art director on this guy's movie and that brought you know this uh, designer on and you sure. know or there, there, there's always uh, there's something to it i try to find the common denominator you know like that's why often when i have people like yourself on the podcast i'm trying to get an, a better understanding deeper beyond an interview or anything and just try to understand what it is that makes you tick because there's something that's working for you that i really admire and I think mm. that there is a formula, and it's not necessarily a formula because that kind of I think it takes away its beauty from it. But there's something really special going on there that um, there's a common thread, and I usually mm. I think it, I, I attribute it to like passion and and curiosity and, and humbleness. You know, like those mm. usually seem to be the things in communication. Like you said it perfectly too. Like being able to communicate with others is. I mean, as a director, that's that's that is your job in a sense. It's communication and 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 connection with others and getting Absolutely. the getting the best out of them. You know, how how, how what do you look for in in um, collaborators when you're building these big projects and stuff? What's a big what's an important trait that you usually do for when you're screening or whenever you're meeting somebody that you're gonna spend the next two years or three years with? Um. Well, I mean, if, practically speaking, a lot of it is. Uh, through the relationship with the producer, first of all, like who do you end up, who do they put you in the same room with and who's, you know, it could just be who's not busy right now. Uh, well, there's very few instances where I'll have someone in mind and uh, how can I, how can I put this? Just casting people, like uh, not in the sense of uh, actors, but casting uh, the different, you know, art directors or director of photography. A lot of that is out of my hands to a certain extent, and a lot of it uh, comes down to how much I trust my producer's judgment. So depending on who they put me in the room with and who I get set up with, you meet someone and you click or you don't, you can spend 
you know, a, an evening with them and talk for hours and hours about whatever it is, uh, 1970s sci-fi or uh, impressionist painting or whatever it is, and you, you get a feel for someone and, and, and think, yeah, if, if, if stuck on a desert island, we, we could actually make uh, something cool. Because <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, you are stuck on... You're in there, you're kind of in a pressure cooker. Pressure cooker, yeah, exactly. So, of course, talent is a big part of it, but... Um, what is talent to you? Everybody has a different interpretation of it. Um, aside from the, the technical skill, whatever their, their trade is, I would say, uh, you know, willingness to try stuff out. I mean, you know, the, uh, um, filmmaking is you're getting together and playing cowboys or, you know, you're playing, you're pretend you're doing a, a huge game of pretend on a massive scale and trying to somehow capture that moment. Yeah. And turn it into something bigger, better, faster, and but you're you're trying to take all this kind of very artificial stuff, putting images together. You don't know where they were made or who made them, and and turn it into something coherent, something that says something. So a lot of it is uh, finding people who will jump into something like that without necessarily a perfectly clear idea of where it's headed, where it's going, you know, you know, they're your teammates somehow. Um, but as, as far as talent goes, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, with, uh, for example, composers or directors of photography or those kinds of people I can... You know, uh, whether it's the visual arts or music, it's, it's, I think it's very hard to really enumerate what it is about something that makes it click. You know, why this person's, why whatever they do really resonates for you, but uh, you hear a piece of music or you see a photograph and you say, oh yeah, that, that guy can see something that... that uh, that I want, or he's, he's, this person knows the words that are going to finish my thoughts, or some something very... Uh, That's nice, the way you just put it's, it. It's, uh, I don't know, it's very ephemeral. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't always, of course, go according to plan. That's a good way of putting it, though. I always, whenever I look at an artist that I really admire, or when I work with somebody that I really that influences me they always have that way of showing me something that i i know exists but i i can't i haven't seen it yet mm. and when they show it to me i have like a psychological connection with them if that makes sense it's very weird yeah <laughs> but, but filmmaking is crazy isn't it it's you <laughs> it you is. get this huge group of people i mean all, even the well with animation but also live action it's that you just take an enormous Usually, a, a very large group of people, and expect to get something other than white noise out of it. Yeah. Uh, that's when you see that work. 
That's very inspiring. Uh, I, I mean, one of the things I like about the Japanese live-action environment is very... I mean, in any other... Well, certainly in, in Hollywood, you'd just call it kind of super ultra-indie, just because it's all very small and it's kind of everything's got a very local feel to it um and there's no there's no unions here everything's very kind of seat of the pants um it's definitely got its limitations but it's also you know everyone gets out and pushes uh you're all at one point or another kind of cooking dinner for each other or uh, you know, it doesn't that it's the veneer of professionality that you have on a on any Hollywood show is doesn't exist here. So it's all just like you work with what you've got. What do you think of that in comparison to the Hollywood format? It's been so long since I worked on anything in the U.S. that he. What I'm doing here seems very natural. Mm. And at the same time, I mean, you know, there's a lot of... I mean, sometimes it's just luxuries. Like, God, you wish you could have another camera on this shot. <laughs> I mean, you know, where's my second unit when I need it? Yeah. Um, but other times it's... Other times, it's really like you really you can't think of a good way to make this happen, given the... Well, otherwise, it's just, it can be very painful when you're having to really... You know what you're doing is a, a huge compromise and really doing a disservice to the to this story, for example, you have a great actor and you're not able to do justice to their performance because you can't, you don't have enough, you don't have time to do another take or mm. whatever. Um, so it's a totally different pattern than in a path. Have you been watching the, the South Korean film industry grow? Oh yeah. How yeah. And there's awesome just films some there. amazing looking stuff. Yeah. And they've, they've, I mean, I'm guessing there's, I'm only seeing, I'm only seeing the stuff that either comes to Japan or that I've got a couple of friends who are involved in Korea and tell me what I got to see. But uh, um, even if I'm only seeing, you know, the the stuff that the, just a, a tiny sampling of it, I'm, I'm very impressed. Yeah. Hey, did you, um, what's one of the films that you've seen? Did you see like Old Boy? Uh, yeah, uh, sure. Um, actually, the movie that probably in the last several years of Korean stuff that uh, impressed me most is uh, Chaser. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. It's fucking really nuts. really just uh, <laughs> had me on the seat of my pants. I, I just I couldn't sit down, actually. You uh, can't, yeah. On the, on the edge of my seat, absolutely. Did you see I Saw the Devil? Have you seen that one? Yes. Oh, yeah. God, that is brutal. Also, very, very intense. <laughs> I made the mistake of starting to watch that, thinking I was going to go to bed at like 2.30 at night after no, working. And no. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> I was up and I watched the whole thing, and then I couldn't sleep after that because it just 
it was so provocative and just so heavy. It's like, dude, yeah. what the hell? <laughs> it was so brutal. Yeah. They, they seem to find a way of uh, kind of what Tarantino does, but better in a way, I think, in that people might oh, be, yeah. me, people Much. might be upset by me saying that, but I'm not Much. a big, I'm not a huge Tarantino fan, at least his recent stuff. I like Pulp Fiction mm, and Reservoir Dogs, mm. but I feel like they're capturing that energy mm. that he has, mm. uh, and they're spinning it around their own way, and I think it's really cool. It's really cool to see great films coming up from other places too. Yeah, I mean it's I like the uh, well they've they've, they've got a real uh, kind of. Uh, Seems to the Korean filmmakers seem to have really latched onto this kind of ultra hard-boiled yeah. uh, style of storytelling, which you know, and and just themes and and uh, stuff that they've the stuff that I you know, there's a lot of other stuff, uh, a lot of stuff that you ne- wouldn't necessarily want to watch. Uh, you know, all you got to do is watch a Korean soap opera. And, <laughs> uh, but but uh, yeah, the the a lot of Korean movies really inspiring. Yeah, it is, and I imagine I'm I'm just guessing. I don't know how the process is over there, but I imagine it's it's probably similar to the fashion of okay, we're all going to work together hard to get this done, you know, and we're all just going to be. I mean, I guess that's how it is on every film set. Set, but you know, with the Hollywood system, the structure of it like you said, the veneer is a perfect word analogy for it is, is there's this kind of glossy thing that doesn't allow you to touch certain things, which is kind of unfortunate. And when I watch those films, even when we're talking about Glazer's film, you know, the rawness of it. And, uh, even, I mean, there's those scenes when she's in the car, I could have swore they just like stuck a GoPro into a truck and she drove around, you know? Well, I think they might have for some of that stuff. Pretty positive. Uh, they did. Cause it feels like they did. Uh, just because of the honesty in the actors, it just felt like very candid, you know. Yeah. But when you talk about the veneer of like the Hollywood machine, it, um, you you lack that energy in certain things, you know. And I guess it just depends on what you're going after, you know. So. Um, yeah, that's that's the other thing. I mean, if you get if you stumble upon perfection here, it's not the result of brute force. Usually, it's the result of some kind of very unpredictable chemical reaction. Whereas I think in Hollywood, filmmakers have gotten very, very adept at kind of channeling resources to to, to create the, the, the most uh, seamless, kind of perfect uh, uh, filmed art that, that that's possible. And uh, it's very very difficult here with just with the physical and financial constraints yeah um but like i said you know it's been i've been working here for so long now that it just seems like uh seems normal sure well you just readapted have you seen uh i bring this film up quite a bit in the podcast have you seen like upstream color or um primer nope okay yeah you should check those out i think you might like them yeah, Primer, uh, I think the guy made it on like crazy low budget, like, I don't know, 10 grand or something. Um, but it's pretty impressive about time travel. It gets really crazy towards the end there, but but this guy, uh, I think his name's Shane, He he's a director, and he's he's all about, from what I understand, he's a very smart guy, but he's about making films on 
lower budgets is not because he wants to, but out of necessity of wanting to create something, but not wanting to go through the Hollywood pipeline necessarily. And well, you can do it now. Yeah, you know, which is really great, right? You know, like if you have um, if you have a decent computer and you can go pick up a red even you know you can shoot in 4k you know or yeah. or the black magic 4k i mean there's so there's so many great pieces of hardware out there what did you guys shoot um heaven's door with uh we were using a sony hd camera uh you know that was in 2007 we were making that so it was before the reds were easily available and hmm. There's some nice yeah, shots in there in the trailer I saw. Oh, I like that thanks. shot with all the lemons and stuff. Thanks. It was a kind of a mess because we were kind of doing a poor man's cinema scope and <laughs> so you know it's it's not well we with mixed results I would say. Um, although I've since done projects with the same DP using the Red or the Viper. And, what do you think of those uh, tools? Oh, amazing stuff. That said, I mean, it's all kind of like, it seems, it seems very normal when you're on a set with uh, DP and camera assistants who are, that's their thing. But uh, I, I, I just got a little camera just for shooting stuff at home. It's a Panasonic GH4, shoots mm -hmm. in 4K. It's compressed, but I've got some amazing lenses for it. Uh, Is that the time-lapse like, stuff that you're doing? Uh, no, that's actually shot on an old Canon, like a tiny digital camera. Uh, I mean, I have a little motion control dolly that I, I use for that stuff. But, um, but you know, you, you can spend a... Well, it's not even a money thing. But just the fact that you can walk around with this this uh, machine practically in your pocket or dangling around your neck and you could put images that you shoot with that you can put them up on the biggest screen and, and they would look amazing yeah um, so that's the whole kind of machine of the even working with something like a red or it seems kind of overkill for just the whole the whole machinery you know putting down dolly tracks and <laughs> all yeah. this this you know army of people that you that you need to make the movie in the kind of it's pretty beautiful uh, though the IMAX professional stuff. style oh yeah i mean yeah. it's it's stunning you know like you watch chris nolan he had to use imax because he was making batman he wanted to make it that big experience you yeah. know but it's, yeah. I guess that's the property, and then you have the money to back up that you know that situation, you know. So <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, not to not Chris Nolan because no, um, um, he's he's incredible at what he does. But I, I I do think there's a point of diminishing returns that we've we're approaching some sort of uh, sound barrier in in terms of diminishing returns. Like yes, you can keep on more technique, more layers of <laughs> technique, higher resolution, larger the, screens, the transformer. more multiple dimensions, and, you know, you, the seats can be shaking. 
and yet, uh, well, that doesn't necessarily mean it is better in terms of like, yeah, it's a more exciting roller coaster, but mm-hmm. at the same time, if you, well, you know, you can, that's not really what what it is about filmmaking that's going to, that, that moves people. Yeah. I mean, it moves them, it moves their, like their, their frontal cortex in it, but it doesn't move their whole mind, you know, that's the beauty of film. A beauty of a really good film for me is, is it goes in your mind and it, and it owns a piece of your mind forever, which is a memory. And then you have your adaptation of that memory. That's the, that's when a film really does something well. I think if, if, if two weeks later you're thinking about that film, I think it's done its job, at least for me, you know? Whether it's like, why yeah. did that happen, or yeah, the script, I, uh, or the story, who, who, or whatever. The guy, the, actually, the guys who do the music for my movies... Um, I'm Plaid, always, right? Yeah, Plaid. They freaking rock. Um, Such a great choice. Oh, thank you, thank yeah. you. They're really the nicest people in the world, too. Um, Is it Ed I'm, and... I'm, what's his name, Ed and... Andy. Ed and Andy. Ed, Ed Handy, Handley and Andy Turner. And, and I'm just in awe of their talent. But I was, uh, what I was trying to say is I, w- I was asking them questions for, I, w- I was asked to do liner notes for their most recent album. And I was just asking them some questions about kind of way, the way they, they visualize the music they're doing. Because it's all, you know... It's all very amorphous, isn't it? It's it's not like uh, telling a story, uh, or at least um, and I know very little about music, but it seem it would seem to me that the kind of the most you can hope for when you're composing a piece of music is to maybe establish a certain vibe, or uh, you know, it's really an abstract art, isn't it? Music. Oh yeah, it's not, I mean, it's not like words or telling a story. Or it's a communication language, though. You know, absolutely. It's it's more of this ethereal, ethereal kind of ethereal kind of communication, though. And they do yeah. a really tremendous job of it. Yeah, They're kind of like a Boards of Canada the, uh, in that way, where they just the uh, the thing that Andy said, or maybe maybe Ed said it. He said they they really think of their music as landscapes. So York says that too. It's funny. Well, yeah. Well, they share a lot of DNA with her. Yeah. Um, and but uh, yeah, she said you can. Uh, I mean, uh, Ed said that uh, that though you you don't really have the same goal as like telling someone a story or you know just people can interpret music and uh, uh, there's an enormous range for. An, possible interpretations of a piece of music and it's never so specific as a time and place and a an actual concrete image it's it is very abstract but it's also like a whole landscape and uh you know there's uh in any in any piece of music you some landscapes have great scale some have great detail some have you know a lot of up and down some are you know desert-like and and there's uh that's something that I, I think you could you could say about certain kinds of filmmaking as well, like this, uh, like that uh, Jonathan Glazer's movie where you know it's it's 
thrilling in a very sort of non-specific way. Like you don't really, you could probably ask 10 different people what this guy's trying to say and, and they'd all come back with something different. And, and I, I, I thought the way, the way Plaid described their, the way they make music is just, you could also kind of apply that to filmmaking. Yeah, I think music and art and, and cooking and, and all these different kind of ways are, they're kind of, they all come from the same stem of creativity. I think when you're saying the landscapes, you know, like the Joy Division album cover or whatever with the, oh. the sound waves. I mean, yeah, that's an iconic image. And once we discovered what sound waves look like um, and we start to transform them into a language that we understand, which is, you know, like topographic information it really starts to make sense visually mm. and uh yeah i mean i've seen bjork live once and it was the most amazing experience and she even moved me to tears because the emotional ride that she pushed me through because she's so emotional with her music and she's mm. communicating that to me and i find that i, I, f I felt when when I, I i knew that there was something special about tegon before I had knew you were a part of it or anything. I had seen the trailer and, and I was obviously blown away by the art, but the music is what really caught my my attention. I felt because it mm. it was the scene where we're flying through. I think we're yeah. uh, we're black and we're flying through the city and mm. and um, the way the music swept with the animation. I instantly knew that I was watching something that was unique, mm. and I think that was a really smart decision from you to, you know. To contact them and to collaborate with them, and I think they did a, a spectacular job. You know, thanks. Yeah, yeah really we've 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 had a really good time working together. And, yeah. You guys work together still quite a bit. Well, yeah. I mean, they did the score for Heaven's Door, and they did my couple, two, let's see, three short films uh, for me, and yeah. Uh, you guys are buddies. You go out to the UK and visit with them? Uh, it's been a while, but um, I think they're they did a they've they've done a couple live performances of the soundtrack of TechCon. Hmm. Uh, one at the Sydney Opera House and another oh, wow. at the Bar Barbican. And um, did you attend? Uh, those? I have been invited, but have been unable to go the last couple times. But I think they're doing another one either at the Sydney Opera House or somewhere in London. Uh, they, they said they're doing another Tech On show, uh, I think, sometime early next year, and I'm, I'm definitely going to catch that. Yeah, it sounds um, awesome. Yeah, but they're, yeah, they're, uh, well, they're very good friends, and when they've come to Tokyo to tour or whatever, we've spent a lot of time together. Um one of the great thrills of my life was to get get up on stage and play guitar with them for a couple songs. <laughs> That's cool. The last tour. You play music as well. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Is it a, is it a release for you, or is it is it like a hobby, or has it been a dream of yours to perform? Uh, I mean, I played in a lot of bands in high school and college, but. Uh, uh, you grew no, up with like what minor threat and stuff. No, I was much more into UK 
stuff uh, that's like Joy Division, that Unknown Pleasures, that album was mm. definitely a, a seminal. It just. Uh, Perfect timing. All of that stuff, yeah. I mean, I started, I, I went to high school in 1980, so there was a lot of that. Uh, a lot of the British stuff. Um, and that's kind of what I what I got hooked on and so I was in many different bands and with a lot of different people and then now it's just strictly a hobby I don't know jam yeah. sessions at home yeah <laughs> yeah you mentioned that you have kids and there you guys are all out in uh, Japan as well yep yeah. Yep. And what are they into creative stuff? Like my my I have a nine year old daughter and she loves to draw and stuff and uh, it's a I, great age. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's really cool. How old are your kids? Um fifteen and thirteen. So they still love you or are they out they're over it? <laughs> oh no no no. We're we're very very close. Uh, oh, that's good. two boys, so Oh awesome. Are they are they resemblance to the Tekon characters? Yeah, I mean they both had a big part in that movie uh, did a lot of well all of White's drawings are my older boy's drawings that's so cool um, they spent a lot of time a lot of weekends uh, just hanging around the studio when I was making it <laughs> yeah they had no choice right yeah and and you know if you give a kid a, a lot of you know a stack of big pieces of paper and the cool you know markers and paints and stuff that kids are natural artists right yeah yeah it's it's it, it must have been really interesting for you to see your kids naturally just creating while you're trying to forcibly push these things together in a production timeline and stuff and it must have been yeah. kind of an enlightening kind of viewpoint into oh very inspiring yeah where it comes kids from right? are, i think kids are kind of the source of all ideas well, we are, and that's what's cool is where we all were there once, and I think it's important never to forget that. And I guess that's probably what Tekon speaks to me is is white is that kind of purity, that innocence, obviously on the surface, yeah, right? Kind of uh, nurturing, creative, you know, unbounded, non-judgmental. Uh, yeah, just, that's that's definitely part of what. He represents, I think. Yeah. I tend to be towards the, the black side, though, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, that's me, too. Be practical. The, the, the tunnel at the end of the light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's, always, it's always nice to be to aspire for those things and stuff. But, yeah, that's really cool to know. And I imagine your kids, are, are your boys into art now? Or are they interested in this kind of stuff? Or are they kind of venturing um, onto their own interests? Not, I, 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 they're not as into it as they were when they were, you know, 8, 9, 10. Now, of course, uh, well, a lot of their focus is on sports and physical stuff, you know you have young boys i think you see kind of uh there's a period where it's all about they, they become very reptilian <laughs> yeah like, the lizard it's brain all, it becomes very physical it's all 
physical, hormonal. Yeah, testosterone's um, freaking going nuts. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but they but they're all they're both very gentle oh, kids. Cool. So you know they they can definitely amuse themselves with some watercolors or you know pencils or cool cool art supplies. Do you bring them back to the states to visit uh, family and stuff? It's, it's been a while for both of them, but uh, yeah. Uh, we've traveled a bit. It's a bit of a journey, you know. So like, so. Yeah, it's a hike, and the way the Japanese schools are, they really, really keep them busy. Yeah, super intense. The uh, from what I've heard, because I have a couple of friends that work there in the animation uh, departments and stuff, I've I've heard, and and I know this firsthand here, working on really crazy shops here, is the uh, work atmosphere and the work ethic in Japan is incredibly strong. Like it's very like you work really, really hard, and you dedicate like everything that you have to it. Is that true? Yeah, it's a pretty stoic, stoic environment. <laughs> um, yeah, people are. I, yeah, people are quite uh, dedicated to their to their work. Um, uh, which is, well, I kind of think it's the way it should be, but yeah, um, there's, I uh, think a much, uh, I I get a pass because I'm a foreigner, so if I say, <laughs> if I say you know, I'm if I saw you working weekend, pretty hard though, right? But so. yeah, yeah, it's true, it's true. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be like standing out like a sore thumb and use that as an excuse, right? So at this point, I'm <laughs> not so worried about fitting in but sure um, yeah yeah I'm in kind of a privileged spot being a foreigner but also being here for such a long time and yeah I don't know I don't know I don't, I'm not really can't say that I'll be here forever I mean I love yeah I it was not the original plan to stay here this long to begin with. So. Yeah, you kind of went out there. Didn't you own a company or something out here? Or you were uh, running like well, a CG I, thing or something? Uh, I, I, I was in Japan for a few years doing special effects, and then I moved back to the States, and some friends and I in New York um, uh, started a little kind of computer graphics boutique. This was in like '92 or '93, quite quite a while ago. Um, kind of early days for computer graphics as well. But we did that for a little while, and then I parted company with them and and uh, came back here uh, after a couple short bits here and there. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, none of it really by design again. <laughs> yeah, you're just enjoying the passage and the pro process of going along. How did you get? How did the Wachowskis come about knowing who you were? Was it through your film involvement and then also being basically Japanese? And they've um, always wanted to do that kind of stuff. No, I actually that was a kind of a personal connection. Um, I had before coming to Japan, I had spent. Uh, about a year and a half working uh, in the States uh, for a 
guy named Doug Trumbull, who's kind of uh, the sort of the godfather of the special effects, um, modern visual effects industry, I think. I, he did the, he was the VFX supervisor for Blade Runner and one of a small team of visual effects artists on 2001 A Space Odyssey. And awesome. Close Encounters of the Third Time. He's, he's really a, a massive figure in terms of special effects. And, yeah, and he's, he's amazing. He's a legend. Um, so on that show, one of the other guys kind of uh, the same age and with a similar, I don't know, just another guy that I, I hung out with on that show was a guy named John Gaeta, who uh, we were both just, you know, still in our early 20s then, um, but we uh, stayed in touch after that, and he ended up uh, supervising visual effects for The Matrix. Mm. And introduced me to the Wachowskis um, when they came to Tokyo to promote The Matrix, the first film. And that uh, led to the Animatrix. What did you I think know. of The Matrix when you watched it? Oh, I loved it. It's so it's such a fucking fun ride. <laughs> it was, I was out I was of nowhere, too. I was completely unprepared for it. Same. So many good ideas packed into that movie. It was um, it was like all these great things from the anime and stuff that I loved as well that nobody had really been able to package in the American way and they f- yeah. they figured it out you know and and the, and all these kind of philosophical things and possibilities of simulations and stuff it was just yeah it was just yeah it was like it was like simulation theories and it's like packaged with like leather pants and machine guns and shit it's like yeah <laughs> so much yeah, fun yeah you know and and it that movie has, I mean, it's not that long ago, but a lot of movies after 10 years show their age, and that one actually is, it has its own kind of uh, timescape. <laughs> so you allow it's, it, yeah. It really, really works. The only thing that ages just, it is the music, you know? Just rewatched it recently. Yeah, but for me, I don't know. I'm so off the radar anyways even it 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 I, I thought it worked very well in creating a kind of hermetically sealed universe yeah and with very little kind of it didn't seem to be even the references or the kind of spin-offs or or homages to Japanese animation in that movie seemed kind of they were put together in a very clever and unique way and and done so uh so well that you didn't really uh well just uh, it's a very unique movie yeah it's one of those uh unicorns you know like we haven't yeah. ha- we haven't had a matrix since the matrix really you know there hasn't been anything. I mean, there's been some. There's been some really great films, of course, but The Matrix is yeah. just one of those things that came out and was like, "Holy shit! Have you seen The Matrix? Like, if you haven't seen this film, you need to go see it. It's crazy." 
and it's a lot of fun and it's a crazy ride and it's like it was it was like something on the tip of everybody's tongue you know it's like but it's but they managed to do it and they and and it was really cool yeah it was definitely uh, a high impact film for me growing up too and and like I said, I just loved their influences because I had grown up watching like Akira and uh, and like Ghost in the Shell and all these things, and and I had seen a lot of similarities in that film, and I was like, oh wow, like they're managing to take all this stuff that I love from Japan and bring it here, and totally make it their own and have a really fun time with it. And it was yeah, it was just a such a cool experience. And when I heard about the Animatrix being created, I was like, holy Ooh. shit, because. I just love that they were taking their energy and going, "Hey, we want to make anime too, you know? Like let's let's get all these amazing guys and let's put them all together and let's make this happen, you know?" Yeah, they 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 really had their hearts in the right place, I have to Absolutely. say. There've been a lot of uh, Japanese animation kind of spin-offs of uh, American you know, mega franchises, uh, the Dark Highlander Knight, and stuff. Dark Knight included, yeah, yeah. Highlander. Uh, the Dark Knight one was Black, nice. Uh, Did you like that? Yeah, um, there was one episode that I thought was incredibly well executed, but as the show in its entirety didn't really. I mean, I don't know. We're, we're asking a lot of people when we show them uh, omnibus, you know six or seven short animated movies it's just like a little too much for the the human brain to to handle yeah um we're talking about gotham knight right yeah 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 um there's there's uh, like one episode, one episode of that that really uh really thought was pretty superlative but which one did you like a lot God, I don't even know the title, but the animation supervisor and art director were both my, my guys from Tecton King Creed. So yeah. It's, it's the one where the kids look. are telling the story, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It and, uh, had that same um, treasure town kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I thought that was uh, the kind of Manhattan or Gotham as, as seen through that lens was quite quite cool. It's very cool super stylized but it pulled it off in its own way and the animation was superb the camera angles and the way the things moved and parallaxed i mean you guys really yeah. nailed it with tech on with like bringing in the cg and using mm. texture mapping and stuff when it was kind of uncommon right the texture mapping yeah i think i think uh it hadn't really been done on quite on that scale i mean it's it's a headache no matter how you do it <laughs> yeah that's that's you know that's back then i mean it's we're i'm playing around with some other stuff recently with different game engines with friends and stuff for vr and it's 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 gotten a million times better from what i understand but it's still always a trek and mm. i can't imagine how difficult it must have been back then to to to, to do te uh you know, texture mapping and all that kind of stuff for, and using all these amazing yeah. hand-drawn paintings mean, and stuff Mixing it with hand-drawn or hand-painted stuff is the real... That's where the headache comes in. <laughs> but that's really the feel, though. If you it's know? All, you guys if nailed it's it. All, if it's all like locked into the completely digital world, it's, it's a much less challenging. Once you start... I mean, there's things... You know, painter's perspective is not... It doesn't necessarily map perfectly to... Uh, 
to the 3D camera. The math, yeah. The, you know, uh, painters do funny things. They offset the vanishing points, so they put them outside of the frame, or they, you know, you, you can have layouts in a, in a drawing that, that are very difficult to match in the... In, in uh, com using the, the typical computer graphics camera model. Yeah, but that's what it gives, gives it that feel. I think I remember re seeing your, I think it was like your CG specialist or tech, oh, yeah. and he was saying yeah. the key is to utilize the hand-drawn elements as much as possible because that's what gives it that feel because if you use too much of the mechanical side, people are pulled out of the story. And I think yeah, with, with Techon in, in particular, yeah. you guys really capitalize on that hand-drawn energy um, that it stayed true the whole time, which is great. And even, you know, using all the um, colored pencil adaptations of stuff. And mm. uh, I remember reading our scene in this, you had kind of like a struggle where you almost lost that shot with the um, the flower blossoming when white dies. And, yeah. And how you were thinking about possibly doing cell animations, but instead of that, you were using like tweening or something. I can't remember. Yeah. But that was kind of new, you know? So you're kind of like, uh, let's try this out. <laughs> it was a bit of a mess in the end, <laughs> and 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 actually, that was, I have to say, the um, a kind of making of documentary of the kind of tech on concrete behind the scenes. They make much more of that incident or episode sure. than than it really deserves. <laughs> it was, <laughs> Um, Dude, you know. it's dramatization, man. Well, yeah, um, I, I kind of felt uh, abused by the by the behind the scenes crew, and that they really, uh, you know, all the, you know, there's no suspense on. <laughs> it was just like, oh shit! Hey, don't tell me do that. It. Man. It was, yeah. No, no, I, I well, you know, it's just it part was, of the journey, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but problem solving, you know, the it whole way through. It was much less important relative, you know, relative to the scale of the whole film. It was a just a tiny blip. Yeah. Uh, but in that uh, behind-the-scenes documentary, it's it's uh, cut together, and uh, it really seems like the whole thing is about to run off the rails. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, trying to keep it alive, duct tape everywhere. <laughs> you know, as though as though shots of a couple hundred animators sitting at their desks are not exciting enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's challenging. I was also noticing that I thought was kind of cool is um, you guys utilized almost all the animation houses at one point when you're making it, right? Mm, no, a lot of. I mean, that's. I have to say that's not so uncommon here because mm. it is a People small share. industry that everyone's yeah everyone when the work is slow they'll take stuff from outside mm. to keep their folks busy um and so there's quite a bit of give and take and you know it's a fairly let's say incestuous industry here mm. They did the same with like Akira, from what I know. Kind of always feeding off itself. Yeah, Akira was also a you know a huge project. So when the crunch time came, everyone 
literally everyone was working on it. Yeah. Because um, it was just an immense amount of work. Same with what you had. The backgrounds alone, I'm just like, oh my god. <laughs> Did you manage to get a get a chance to keep some of the original art? Is that possible, or is um, it just, just I my art owned? director gave me a few paintings, and you know, I I gave them all away. I gave a couple paintings to my screenwriter, and I think I gave a painting to Plaid. And, so and cool. I uh, I kept thinking I would be able to go in and get the stuff, you know, the ones that I wanted before it all got boxed up. But I missed my chance. Oh no! <laughs> it's, it's all in a warehouse somewhere, and I don't know. Oh man. Hopefully it's protected because yeah. that the background art is just. I have the book. Um, mm, so big on those books. Art, those yeah. art books are beautiful. Uh, they're amazing. Yeah. Um, there's the white one and then the black one. The black one's got the pencil drawings. I have that too. And then, and then the white one has all like the colored black and uh, the colored versions of the ba- uh, the backgrounds and just yeah, it's phenomenal. Yeah. It's it's honestly as an artist myself, it's it's kind of depressing because when you look at a body of work that fast in a book uh, yeah. you instantly go for me I go oh this must have been easy for them and I forget that it was uh, probably years of work you know but yeah a couple of years and those those guys can fucking paint yeah they're just like just jamming through it and just, I mean how on, on an average how often if you have one background painting how often I mean I guess depending on the, compl- the complexity of it but what are they blasting out like one every two or three days you know, my art director would do knock some out in days. There were some that where there were a lot of false starts, and he would redo them. You know, over the course of weeks, uh, and uh, you know, everyone had their kind of strong areas and weaknesses. I guess I don't know. My my art director about halfway through the project, he brought in a few other. Uh, background people, all art directors in their own right. Um, but yeah, it's quite. It's freaking amazing. Uh, quite <laughs> exciting to see paintings like that evolve, but, you know, one over one after the other. Well, yeah, and also like you know, if you look at the original manga and the way that the artists originally drew them, and then you look at the adaptation. To your art director and everybody else involved at the background paintings. I mean, it's 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 like it's come to life and it's like pumped up on steroids and it's it's mm. just filled with color. And then you take it from there and then you figure out with your involvement, I imagine, with all the technical understanding of texture mapping and creating parallaxing and, and fluidity and scenes uh, and camera oh. movements. I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous. It's just yeah, it's a, it's awesome. I, I remember the same. I got kind of a similar feeling when I watched um, Akira for the first time and, you know, like Tetsuo and Kaneda are racing through the city on the yeah. bikes, you know. That, that opening sequence is, uh, I mean... <laughs> Nothing they did beats that, it. <laughs> they, did that, they did that stuff the hard way, too. They didn't have all the digital stuff then. They were they were shooting everything on animation stands. And so nuts. Just the holograms and stuff. Oh, yeah. Man, the light trails. Yep. It's like, how the heck? Have you got a chance to meet Otomo or talk with him? Yeah, he's a very good friend. Uh, you know, yeah, that's we, cool. Uh, keep in touch a lot. He's, uh, I mean, it is a very small community, but... Uh, yeah, very cool guy. And another one of those guys who... 
they're just too talented to even be in the same room as, <laughs> and yet there they are, just, you know, one, the next seat at the bar or, you know, um, very approachable, very humble, uh, very cool. Super hardworking. Hey, yeah. I bring him yeah, up a I mean, lot in the podcast because I... I see him as, I, I think I look at Akira as being probably one of the most monumental uh, art creations of our era, personally. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> and people that don't know about it, I'm always like so surprised because I'm like, wow, it's it's one of the most amazing accomplishments in art <laughs> for me, yeah. from my vantage point. I mean, given his age and, and the time that he had developed it and, and then well, the, fil- and then the, the film. Well, and then the fact that he was... That was his first feature film, and he was making it, he was directing the movie as he was writing the comic book. Yeah. <laughs> and the comic book is also massive. It's monumental. It's yeah, I have. It's like 2,000 uh, pages or something. <laughs> he's doing this at the same time. It's, it's just mad. Yeah, how dare he? He makes us all look like lazy shits. <laughs> yeah. He's like a Stanley Kubrick that draws. It's like, damn it. He's, he's huge. One of my favorite pieces of his is Domu, though. Have you read Domu? Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. It's one of my favorites. It's it's a it's a masterpiece, I think. Yeah, I've asked him many times to let me make a movie of it. Dude, if you ever do, please let me know, because I would love to help No, nah, I mean, everyone wants to do Domu, including <laughs> Otomo himself. Yeah. Is it is it probably like a financial thing or rights to it or something? Well, I think, I think he's holding on to it for himself. He should. I think it'd be great. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people are trying to translate Akira into film. I just think it's a mistake because you'll always live in the shadow of the anime, you know, and the manga. Mm. Like, I don't think you can, personally, I'm not trying to be a dick or anything, but I don't think you can adapt it better, you know. And uh, same with Ghost in the Shell, too, you know. Like, even when I did that project that I had taken on for just doing the homage to a Ghost in the Shell, mm. I still felt that no matter what I did and how hard we worked, it would always, we'd always live in the shadow of the, the masterpiece, you know? Mm. But I think because Domu hasn't been touched and it's just perfect gem and I, it's, and it's perfectly apl- applicable to film the way he composes it and the way it paces. It's just, it's, it's perfect. Yeah. So. You see, you saw that movie, uh, Chronicle. Yes. I've seen Chronicle. I thought it, that movie owed a lot to Akira and Domu. Oh, of course, yeah. even um, Looper, you know, yeah. uh, Looper, yeah. y- y- you know, what's going to happen is, is filmmakers like myself and yourself that might not necessarily get to do, do Domu, but we have the influence from Domu. We're just going to kind of use the inspiration kind of like the Wachowskis did, you know, mm. and hopefully paying an homage to it properly, you know, but yeah, Domu is so great. Such a great piece. Did you, did you get into uh, manga more after Tekon? Because he said before that you had you didn't you weren't really completely keen on it. You had read some, but you weren't really. Into yeah, Tekken Kinkri was one of the first manga that I. Not the first, because I I actually when I read Tekken Kinkri, I, I I had already had Domu and Akira and a few books by other uh, by other mangaka but um you know it's kind of like uh i'm not a manga fan so 
but I have so many friends who are into it that um, I'm lucky to get a lot of good recommendations, I guess. I'm, sure. I'm, I'm the last guy to go hunting for <laughs> stuff, uh, but uh, yeah, you know, my mangaka friends are telling me what their favorites are, so, you know, it's like uh, getting restaurant recommendations from a great chef. Sure. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I don't have to sort through all the all the junk. <laughs> but I'm also, I, you know, with manga, I'm, I, there's only a few books that I've really stumbled onto and tech on among them, but uh, there's only a few things where I've really felt like I was, you know, going through the uh, through the racks at the used record store and just found a gem by accident. Yeah. Um, I've had the same experience as well. There's only been a couple that have really lived with me forever. And mm-hmm. Domu and Akira was definitely, those were those are the ones that really stuck with me for since the first time I checked them out. It's a, it's a, obviously a bit different being out in the states. We don't get, um, you know, it's not a, uh, manga isn't as prevalent here, so you have to kind of search for it and stuff and and ask around. But um, yeah, it's everywhere here. Yeah, it's you know what's really weird too is like in Japanese culture, like there's there's like this fatuation with like boys loving one another in manga. <laughs> yeah, boys love. It's it's like a crazy thing, you know. <laughs> There's a show called, um, and I, I've I've known about it for a while, but I've always been like, what the heck, you know? It's, but it's just a culture thing. It's a very interesting cultural. Like, it's a subgenre. I mean, there's, uh, yeah, there's there's such a wide range of. You can't even really call them genre, but you know, there's like pulp and stuff that aspires to be the you know, great Japanese novel and there's, you know, pornography and there's high art and there's comedy and there's, you know, this, this, there's so many, there's so much, there's so much manga here. Yeah. It's a monster. It's (laughs) it's incredible. Yeah. I can't imagine. I can't wait. I got to save up money like now. (laughs) <laughs> and I gotta bring out like another duffel bag so I can bring a bunch of stuff. Well, back. I mean, you'll you'll see. I mean, there's there's you could just go to the used comic shop and walk out of there with stuff that you, you don't know what it means or what it's about. But I don't really each, care. Each of those books has its own, you know, visual language, its own world. It's incredible, uh, incredibly inspiring stuff. Manga. Yeah. There's lots of content creation, and it's what's really cool too to see as the, there's a, like a paperless world that's occurring obviously now with electronics and iPads and the Nook and all that stuff. It's it's cool mm. to see that. From what I understand, it's still pretty dominant to have like traditional paper printed manga, right? Yeah, yeah. Although a lot of people are doing their well, books are dying slowly. There's no doubt. Yeah. About that, even the manga here, mm. uh, it's it's there's still got some 
some years left before it uh, disintegrates. But uh, a lot of the guys uh, the, in the publishing world here, they were telling me that they, uh, what were they saying? Uh, you know, serialized comics are kind of the way, traditionally anyways, that people have really digested the manga. Mm -hmm. And the books are kind of, to a certain extent, the books are an afterthought, but uh, it's all kind of leveling out and gradually there's some kind of downward, downward spiral going. It's just kind of how the, the the music industry did too, you know. It's just kind of yeah. It's just uh, consumption, you know. I, I I'm I'm curious to see because I look at the the newest trends, which I think is virtual. The virtual experience, usually in the Oculus or any of these virtual um, compatible experiences, I see that as being a, a new way of experiencing things as well. Are you, is that big out there in Japan? Not as far as I'm aware. <laughs> it's going to hit probably with like a freaking tidal wave because I think even like PlayStation yeah, is going to hit it. Actually, I'm sure. Uh, Japan seems to always be the last place to be hit by whether it's uh, smartphones or... Really? Uh, yeah. That's interesting. Smartphones, uh, you know, the... Whatever. The iTunes, for God's sake. Uh... Oh, really? You know, st they still have Tower Records in Japan. <laughs> Are you no, serious? An wow. Actual brick and mortar record store. Wow. That's, so that's it's um, yeah. I mean, part of it is a lack of localization. Like Japan is is not the first stop on everyone's list of just m targets to market to. I think. Mm. Why do you think that is? Um, and and it's also to a certain extent a, a closed market. Mm. Uh, and it's not particularly English language friendly. Which is good, though. I mean, so the stuff takes a lot longer to kind of trickle down and saturate over here. Yeah, it makes sense. So, hey, when you were working on the Animatrix, what were some of the uh, who were some of the uh, the directors that you enjoyed working on with most? Um. Well, I uh, Kawajiri. Uh, was was a wonderful, wonderful guy. A lot of fun to hang out with. He uh, seems awesome. He's a nice guy. I mean, he's like uh, my dad's age, probably. I don't he know. smokes like crazy, he's... too, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, we got thrown out of a bar in San Francisco because he tried to light up. But, you know, <laughs> this was, I, you know, I didn't know that the, the U.S. had gone so anti-smoking yeah uh, so it was here. kind of a surprise to me but uh, yeah we're in a total like very rough bar in kind of a uh kind of tenderloin district and and uh he lit up and people came running from seemed like emerging from all <laughs> corners of the place uh, uh telling us to put it out get out of funny. here <laughs> but no, I, I really enjoyed working with him. Um, I, I had a good relationship with all of our directors, I think. Um, I'm very close to Peter Chung. We had a, a really nice time. His piece was really uh, phenomenal. It felt very Mobius and very mature yeah. and very unique. Yeah. Yeah, don't, there's, there's none of the directors who made it until the end. Uh, I, I 
can't really say anything bad about any of them. Um, I love all the voices too. They all have such different unique range, you know. I mean, all the way from like the computer-generated stuff to Kawajiri's, you know, samurai-style stuff. That was just amazingly beautiful, illustrated, animated, and then you had like the running. Was it the Running Man? The yeah. Yeah, because he's also done a one of my favorite animes ever, which is the Running Man that he did a long time ago. He directed a long time ago. Kawajiri's, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the masterpiece. Incredible. Yeah. It's really incredible. If anybody that's listening that hasn't seen that, it's on YouTube actually. So, but it's part of Neo Tokyo. It's a three. Yeah, I, I originally saw it because it was one of the shorts that was on uh, MTV's Liquid Television. Yeah, yeah. At the time, was yeah, kind of a so big cool. deal. Yeah. It's very much a kind of rollerball sort of uh, hard sci-fi. Yeah, it was like kind of like the Blade Runner stuff was coming out. There's also like there's a manga called Ash and Victor that has similar similarities mm. to it as well. It's kind of interesting, um, mm. but yeah, the animation and the the pacing and the mood of that uh, is just phenomenal. I'm a big fan yeah. of his uh, Cyber City Oida. Yep. It's, it's so like cheesy and silly and like old school and <laughs> pretty pretty <laughs> and it, goofy. It's super goofy, but it's a lot of fun. It's just like I don't know. It's just guilty pleasure anime kind of stuff. But yeah, the, the Wachowskis are big fans of Kawajiri's. Yeah, I imagine that must have been a such a, a delight. And then working with Peter and and uh, um, I always forget his name. I don't know why, but the my favorite one out of all of them. They always change each year. I pick a different one that I love more than the other. Mm. But my new, my recent one was where the girl. There's the glitch, and she yeah. goes, and it's like the haunted house. It's a guy named uh, Morimoto Koji. Koji, that's it. Yeah, he um, he, he just he was animations uh, I, uh, I supervisor on Akira, right? His, yep. Well, yeah. kind of uh, sub animations. He's one of two animation supervisors. Mm. Um. And, uh, yeah, he's kind of my, let's say, my mentor in animation. He's kind of the first guy I really worked with closely for a long time. And he, he encouraged me to do Tekon for quite a while. That's awesome. He's incredibly smart. Yeah. He his... just, uh, I just saw on his Facebook page yesterday, he's got a new music video out. Oh, yeah? I'm going to check that yeah. out. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I'm going to check that out for sure. I love supporting that stuff or exposing it to people because I feel that in America or in the States, there's not a lot of... People don't realize where a lot of this stuff comes from. Mm. And, um, a lot of it comes from Japan. <laughs> and people yeah, don't Koji's, understand it. Uh, Koji's in incredibly talented and, Crazy and I think uh, quite quite underrated. He's never... He's never... Uh, no, I think Animatrix is probably the project that he's um, best known for at this point, but he's done some absolutely spectacular short films. That, uh, he did one called Dimension Bomb. That, yes. Or Genius? Is that the Genius Bar? Is that the Yeah, Genius Party. Genius it's Party, an omnibus. Yeah. And some of them are kind of throwaway and some of them are curiosities but the uh, the short dimension bomb is is really fantastic and he got juno reactor to do the music thanks thanks in part to the wachowskis really for that hookup that's but, awesome uh, 
Yeah, it's pretty unique, and it's also, you know, wordless, kind of just trip out, very psychedelic. He seems like he explores that range a lot, you know? He goes into those, almost a Yodorowsky style. Yeah, that's his thing. Yeah. I notice a lot of the manga guys, too, and, and um, are heavily influenced, obviously, by Mobius. I think everybody is, but and Mobius is obviously connected with Yodorowsky, and Yodorowsky's connected with, like, Otomo, from what I understand. So it's, like, kind of a... It's very interesting. Yeah. And when I look well, at Otomo their influences... Otomo was good friends with Mobius as well. Yes, yes. Yeah, and it's just really cool to see it um, I think when, when I look at Koji's work, it's very experimental, and that's perhaps why he hasn't hit off as fast as, say, like Otomo or something. Well, you know, mm. Otomo is his own self, but perhaps, you yeah, know, it's I like think. everybody's their own self. But yeah, when I rewatched Animatrix and I watched that one in particular, his and, and Peter Peter's was, they both, they're so mature and they're so smart. Um, yeah, they're both very psychedelic, too. Yeah, yeah, they're very, like, third-eye, mind-expanding concepts and thoughts. And it's and, it, and one thing I think I remember you saying is that these guys uh, wrote their own scripts, right? Or they wanted to, yeah. or... Which, no, they did, both of them. Yeah, which is uh, well, really both, awesome. Both Peter and Koji wrote their own stuff. Uh, some of the others, well, Kawajiri's... Uh, were uh, uh, Kawajiri wrote his own uh, there were a few one called the Second Renaissance which were kind of sketched out by the Wachowskis and then executed by the uh, animation directors but yeah that was a crazy one too damn that was nuts <laughs> yeah, yeah actually I, I, I really uh I think, actually, the second Renaissance is one of the ones which is at the most kind of consistently impressive just in terms of its scale. It's huge scale. Just so much information um, being conveyed. And uh, it was also, I'd say that was the funnest to work on because hmm. making each of those movies was like each one was making another making another movie. Yeah. Uh, so it was just the must have been about three years that I was doing Animatrix. It was it was very intense time. <laughs> yeah, because you're managing what? It was it six, seven, seven. Yeah, so you're managing seven films basically. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have assistance as well? Obviously. Yeah, yeah. Great co-producers and and a good team of people, and I I had the the entire post-production machine of the Matrix films, basically. The um, great, incredible sound design. Mm. I have to say, I think that the sound design on Animatrix is the, the best sound design I've heard in any animated film. Yeah, it's damn good. It's really good. Um, and uh, the fellow, uh, Dane Davis, who supervised, uh, well, he won the Oscar for sound design on the Matrix and a uh, wonderful guy and, and he supervised the sound design for the Animatrix films, him and a group of people at his studio which is now gone unfortunately but uh, they, the 
they did an incredible job on that. It's really, really exciting to work with, uh, with uh, these sound editors and, and uh, sound effects designers who are really just like at the top of their game. Great ideas and great, you know, the skill to execute their, their ideas at, at such a high level. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, you're seeing somebody really pushing themselves at the high level, which is always great to see because then you actually get to understand what it takes to be great, you know? Yeah, I think, uh, well, on, at least on the Animatrix, I think for them it was something very different. They, in in one sense, I think the, there's a lot more room for sound effects to contribute to an animated movie because mm-hmm. there's, uh, you know, the, there's much less information in a, hand-drawn picture than there is in this you know, live-action stuff that they're usually doing. Um, so I think their concerns are quite different and they have probably a lot more freedom and a lot more they can bring to the bring to the show on an animated film like that. Yeah. So that, that was, uh, yeah, quite proud of the stuff that they did on Animatrix. Yeah, it's it's a definitely a project to be proud of. It's it's like the Matrix itself for me. It still stands the test of time. It's always entertaining. It's always a, a reference for me for people. And, I, and if the people haven't seen it, I'm like, dude, what the hell? Like, you got to see this. This is so amazing. And I've and I've shown people that I've never seen anime before. Don't know what manga is, and they're thoroughly impressed. You know, like the high level you know I've, I've had friends that never watched anything before and i showed them ghost in the shell and they're like i didn't even know this existed they thought it was like all dragon ball z and stuff you know or pokemon you know so <laughs> which is great there's a whole different you know level of of this you know of this experience for these things and i think that's yeah i think it's a really great project it's something really to be proud of you know oh, did thanks you, did you enjoy wearing that hat instead of being the director kind of more the producer I'm, um, sure you, I'm sure you learned a ton yeah because i mean i was i was i had two co-producers who were largely responsible for dealing with the business stuff so my role was kind of a well sort of a creative interpreter for the Japanese directors and the Wachowskis. Uh, I was much more involved in, you know, just defining the series for each of the directors involved. And I guess I I would say it was much, I I was comfortable with it because I was spending all my time on the filmmaking rather than, you know, all the other stuff that producers typically do. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and uh, I loved, I loved working with the Wachowskis and I loved uh, working with the Japanese directors. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't always fun, but uh, was, yeah, always intense, which is. <laughs> Anything good is always like that, though. It seems yeah. like that's, you know, it has to be in some way, you know, especially if you're making intense work, you know, it's just kind of the byproduct of it is your own emotional strain. So, <laughs> yeah, and, and it all came out well. So, um, I have no complaints of the experience. All those, uh, 
Yeah, well, I was uh, well very lucky to even have the chance. I mean, that was to a certain extent dumped on my lap. I mean, I think I was very much an unknown quantity, except for uh, the John Gaeta, the, the visual effects supervisor for the Matrix. Uh, you know, he was the only one kind of. Uh, recommending me for the project. It That's was, awesome. Was, uh, yeah, very nice. I've heard great things about him. I've had friends that worked with him and stuff. He's a very talented oh, yeah. person. Yeah. John is he's a wonderful guy. Wonderful eye. Yeah, good eye for just his taste and, and, and what things need to be. You also worked like on um, Total Recall too, huh? Yeah. Um, it was the camera stuff though, right? Yeah, motion control stuff. It was that was uh, a lot of that was kind of done on the heels of the Abyss, mm. uh, same studio, and we were using a lot of this technology that was developed and built for the Abyss. So, um, yeah, I I was on for about half of Total Recall, and then then I went back to college and. Uh, started working for Doug and the folks back east. Hmm. And you studied like language too, did you not, or no? Yeah. Um, I mean, my dad's a writer and my mom's a linguist, so hmm. it's kind of... Was it common to speak multiple languages at home? Uh, yeah, I grew up speaking Spanish and my parents were switching back and forth between Spanish and English a lot of the time and yeah, it was just it was just something that I was into was learning learning languages. Yeah, languages. I mean, I, it, you talk about a difference. So, like learning Japanese in comparison to Spanish, it's like it's like a whole might as well be a whole another universe. <laughs> oh, it is. Yeah. Very much so. How how is it like with understanding the writing? Is it challenging still to like understand how to write kanji? Or are you getting? Or is it kind of something that's just kind of second nature now? Yeah, I mean, I'm, it's, I've been doing it for so long. It's, it's the difficulty is, you know, when you're learning how to write the alphabet, you, you don't, you don't even remember when you were learning how to. That's true. Write the alphabet. It happened so long ago. Yeah. Uh, and it's the same way, you know, you learning how to read and write Japanese or any Asian language for that matter. It's little kids can do it so how hard can it be it's kind of a very basic uh, human ability I think uh, human skill I think it's just when you I, I guess you know you have so much time when you're a little kid in school to just sit there learning alphabets I mean lucky <laughs> um, that it, it becomes much harder when you're an adult, but it's, it's not, you know, it's just a lot of memorization. Yeah. And but it gets, but it's like anything, you know, you, you start doing it, you're doing it for long enough and it gets much easier. And there's, there's very much a kind of a exponential curve. Like the, the first hundred kanji are much more difficult to remember than the next 500 or sure. the next thousand. By the time you, you know you know enough of them, they're all kind of sharing 
very common features and it becomes easier to kind of guess at what they mean and you, you know what uh, 500 of them you can kind of even if you don't know how to pronounce stuff that comes later you, you can figure out what it means so and even well-educated Japanese people they'll stumble upon character kanji that they've never seen before and be <laughs> able to be able to you know it's a very kind of analog writing system it's you can kind of get 90% of the meaning uh, meaning out of a lot of the chinese characters without having necessarily ever seen them before yeah um, well it's kind of like with you know there it's analogous to reading english you you may not have ever seen a word before, but you can probably figure out how to pronounce it. Sure, you and, have the tools. Uh, and a lot of the words that might share similar Latin or Greek or, you know, Romance language roots, you can kind of figure out what they mean, maybe. Yeah. Especially when you see them in, in the context of a sentence. That's, that's the great thing about language is there's so much ambiguity in there that you can kind of... Uh, you know, you see the way kids learn language. They're kind of imitating the way other people use words, expecting to get, you know, they're, they're kind of judging the reactions they get from using words or phrases, uh, which goes back to the way, you know, little kids, they learn to smile because they see that when they smiled by accident, the person they're looking at gave them a smile back. I and mean, there's already there's some kind of very primitive form of communication going on. Yeah. And I, and I think it's the same way with language. Like, you know. You're saying the same thing about film, though. It's funny what you're saying is very close to what film and entertaining or arts or communicative arts uh mm. it's very similar you know and there david fincher once said in a thing one of his documentaries or behind the scenes of one of his films I, i'm addicted to those i don't know if you've ever listened to his commentaries they're amazing because they're just filled mm, with not, a plethora not of for the fincher stuff they're no. they're just yeah i think you'd really love them too because you're, you got the technical side as well so you'll understand a lot of what he's talking about but um mm. Uh, one of these things he said is is making a film is like a like a layered experience where you know you have the the writing phase and then then you got to find the actors and then do the casting and then you got to do the pre-production and then go out and shoot the film and then and then the film actually really starts because you got to go edit it and then you go and edit it and then you put it together and then you you have screenings and then you have adjustments and then you go and release the film and then 10 years later somebody brings up the film and it never leaves and it's always there but it's this multiple layered experience and how I'm connecting that to language is, is this malleable communication device and it's constantly changing and it's all into interpretations and there's all these different ways of connecting these ideas and seeing like you know like if you smile then another person's going to smile if you put in a, a horrible scene then people are going to either react you know go this way or that way you know and i think people that really understand how to create a good piece of entertainment film or animation they understand the communicative arts in some way whether they know it or not i think that's what yeah, def i mean uh, well there's some filmmakers who actually know what they're doing and there's <laughs> others who just have a feel for it sure uh and that's another interesting thing. So you, it's it's quite quite. I mean, well, probably like uh, watching these 
uh, behind the scenes documentaries, but it's very, very fun to, if you ever watch another director work mm-hmm. is everyone's got a, such a different way of doing things. I yeah. mean, well, not everyone, but I mean, there's, you can kind of split people up into different groups, I guess, but there's a huge range of working styles. It's beautiful, though. Then you get all these yeah, different experiences, you know. You know, then you get you get everything from under the skin to a Pixar film. You know, so many different textures possible. Yes, which is awesome. Hey, um, Ash, uh, uh, I was gonna say I'm running a little short on time. Perfect. I was so... just gonna ask if we could start wrapping it up. Oh, okay, okay. Perfect. I was gonna say if if there's more, we can schedule another thing. But you know, if if I just wanted to. You can come on any time, but no, I, I didn't want to keep you. I, I didn't. I was surprised we were going to talk for this long, anyway. So. I'm oh just... no! I'm, <laughs> I just I, I had a nice chunk of breathing space here, so. Awesome. Been... Well, I really appreciate you spending it with me and the rest of the listeners and stuff. And yeah, I no, hope we... I hope it's I hope it's going to be an interesting show. I I don't know. It's been fun. Yeah. Here I am. Three double espressos later dude you guys are like i thought you guys were working at starbucks there because it's like that thing was going non-stop it's like you guys are really big into the caffeine in that office so ah uh, if you only knew <laughs> yeah, i don't drink any i don't i, I don't need the, another vice in my life so i, I avoid mm. it but yeah no but um honestly it's it's like i said in the beginning of the podcast it's it's you you've been a part of the things that i it really helped um helped my career in a way that's inspired me and and it's just when i get a chance to get any time with anybody that's been involved with things that involved that influence me so much it just i just feel so like i don't know it just it feels great and so i just i really want you to know and I, I really appreciate you taking the time to to come on the show and chat and you know i really appreciate it it's awesome and hopefully when i'm out in tokyo we can hang out and go run around the city and eat some food and have some fun that'd be amazing oh, thanks so much ash uh, i appreciate the compliments and definitely give me a, a heads up before you parachute into <laughs> tokyo crazy and, uh, if, if i'm around I'll, I'll definitely make time absolutely man well yeah thank you so much and, and best of luck to you on everything that you're doing and um yeah let me know if you ever need a hand and yeah wishing you the best thank you very much let me know when i can uh I can uh, hear this podcast. Absolutely. We'll be sending you a link to it with everything. And we'll have, um, I don't know if you do like the Twitter and stuff, but we'll definitely have a website, a link to your yeah, website. Might, uh, throw it up on Facebook or, uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll put every, every, everybody will be aware of where to go and find more information about you. And if there's anything that in particular that you want us to link to, we'll definitely put it in there as well. So, Oh, yeah. thanks very much. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you so much, and, and best of luck on your project right now, and, and thank you again so much. Cool. Good to talk to you, Ash, yeah. and uh, best to Andrew as well. Thank you so much. Cool. Uh, have a great day. Yeah, you too, man. Enjoy uh, your weekend. Great evening. Sorry, uh, <laughs> it's gotten a bit late there, I guess. No, nah, it's okay. I work late, so it's okay. Right. Well, me too. It's a Saturday, and I'm at the <laughs> studio. So. That's how you do it, man. That's how you get good.